Yeah, here. We're fine. I'm the walrus. I am the walrus. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> you come out of the lanes. You throw your piece out. Nice marmot, man. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Get in the Garage. Welcome. Hello. I told those fucks down at the league I don't roll on Shabbos. 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 Opening a music Shabbos. podcast with movie references. How do you drive a ca- How do you drive a car, Walter? <laughs> Hello. Welcome. I don't handle money. <laughs> Happy summer. Happy summer, y'all. It's officially summer now. Is it? Yeah, it's the 21st. So was that today or yesterday? I think today. Today, maybe? Today's the longest daylight day of the year as well. (sighs) Enjoy it. June 21st. And it's cloudy, so that's fun. Have you noticed like the past like four weeks that we've done the podcast, it's like Mm -hmm. rained every day? Yeah, maybe it's us. You remember when we broke up the Spice Girls? Bring May flowers. It was raining that day. This is my favorite. My favorite part of these long days, though, is like there's nothing better than that seven till eight forty five at night where it's still bright out, but mm. it's like everything is like shadow turning shadowy. Mm. Yeah, you it's get that like, yeah, it's that like weird summer yeah. time. It's uh, like it only summer happens. nights. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> one of those hot nights. Summer nights. Hot summer nights. Radio. We're gonna go see Kiss, man. Are you? Mm-hmm. When? Gotta lose your mind for Detroit. You guys are making history. Rock City. August. We're gonna witness history. Oh, nice. Yeah. Come. I'm gonna relive my childhood, my first concert. I'm going back to the same uh, concert lawn where we will. Uh, oh, in uh, yeah. Hartford or wherever. Yeah, yeah. it's in what? In August. Yeah, August 22nd. You should we're, come along, man. We're gonna enjoy history all over. Again. If you want to. Who are? Who's playing lead guitar with them now? Uh, so that guy that's not Ace Freely. Yeah, that guy that's not Ace Freely, and then the guy that's <laughs> not Peter Chris is also playing drums. Yeah. But not the, but you still get Paul Stanley. Not and the Fox, because that dude died. No, it's no. it's it, they just have stand-ins for the original. Oh, okay, uh, guys. And it's not the Ankh Warrior. No, it's a different guy. No, on guitar. Yeah, it's just they just took over the original personas. Yeah. No, Vinnie Vincent or Vinnie Vincent. That's his name. Uh, uh, Eric Carr. Yeah. Why do I know both you're, of those? Because you're, you're a first lieutenant <laughs> in the Kiss I just like, pulled those. You names. wanted the best, I just man. You those got those it. Names out, and I was like, I can't believe I knew both of those. You got to know who you're saluting, man. Of yeah. course, you know. Eric Carr, I think, is the Fox, and Vinnie Sec- Vincent two is the General Eric. You got to support the troops. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thank you for your service, Eric Carr. We miss you. <laughs> Died really tragically too. Did his dick explode? Yeah. Just no. <laughs> no, yeah, I think he had some kind of like terminal cancer. Yeah, he, oh, now I feel terrible. And he was Horrible. like, he was like late thirties. He was yeah, and oh, not man. to mention he was like a really great drummer. Yeah, a really good drummer. Yeah, yeah that's super sad. Yep. He was a drummer. Yeah, like I think even late late seventies, maybe early eighties. I don't know when. Yeah, Chris he stepped left. in. Uh, like str- I think he's on the Strangers of the Strangers in the Night mm-hmm. album. First album he's on. Strangers of the Night. Yeah, he's part of their Creatures like, of the Night. Part like of their unmasked Preacher. lineup. You know, yeah. When yeah. No makeup. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway. So, so today we're we're discussing a topic near and dear to our hearts, which could be our fa- some of our favorite debut albums of all time. So each of us have a handful that we're going to talk about, and we're going to share those with you. And 
They're yeah. all worth checking out. I yeah. enjoyed going down uh, memory lane, listening to a bunch of these. Yeah, I was. Uh, I would say I was definitely presently surprised. I feel like pleasantly I, surprised. Excuse me. I feel like I picked ones I liked, but I liked like uh, you guys' ideas better. I feel like I feel like my head wasn't in the right space when I was trying to think of all of these, but you guys came up with some great ones, and I'm I'm excited to talk about. Them. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. Who wants to start? Luca, you want to start? I'll yeah, it's start. been a while since you started around. I'll rounds. start. Let's let's take. Uh, this is the the number one one I thought of when this yeah. topic came up. Yep. Um, and Jeff also had it on his list. Uh, we're talking, we're talking. We're gonna go to the jungle. We're gonna get down. The Guns and Roses first album, Appetite for Destruction. Do you know yeah. where you are? Uh, yeah, you're in the jungle, baby. <laughs> you're gonna die. <laughs> um, so I obviously no screaming into the mic. Sorry, that's why I rock my head back. <laughs> in the jungle. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, Guns N' Roses uh, jokes aside, like we're doing here. Um, I think this is a solid, solid album. One of the, probably one of the last great classic rock albums of that period, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of like derivative of that like nature of like of of that kind of rock and roll. I feel like that's probably like the one of the last tent poles that went up um in the canon. Like birthed from that kind of a combination of Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin yes. type of hard rock. Yes, yeah, yeah. that yeah, that hard rock. Yeah. It um it like it fits like if you were playing like a song on it, it would fit with like Back in Black and it would also mm-hmm. fit like if you played it like a track from Zeppelin 2 yeah. next to it. Yeah. Um so it has why I think this album is so great. Um, the choruses is this album is chorus, chorus, mm. chorus. Every chorus on here rips. My Michelle rips. Paradise mm. City rips. Uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Uh, Mr. Brownstone. Night Train. Um, it literally, I, that's why I think this album is so great. Is it, the songwriting is incredible, and I feel like um, you know on their follow ups they they couldn't get to like. Mm get back to the 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 song quality that they had in their first album and i think that's kind of their downfall but and i think i think a major point when we're talking about debut albums the the thing that people always say you have your whole life to write your first album yeah so i think that's a thing is like this had it was melody 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 it was song 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 and then you strike gold and then you really only have like the next year, year and a half to write the follow up. Yes. So I think these guys came in with, you know, debuts. That's why they're famous for like having such, um, killer knockout songs on the yeah. great debuts. Cause they just have the five years, 10 years to own all the stuff. Before. Right. And the, I think they're hung. They're the hungriest. Right. Right. What's so I'm looking down this, this, this list of songs on appetite for destruction, which just missed my top five uh i don't even know what my least favorite song would be i would say my least favorite song might just be like paradise city because you heard it too much because i've heard it a lot and it's like six and a half minutes long and sometimes it's like it's it's like nine courses in that song but this whole album you're crazy anything goes rocket queen it's so easy out to get me like all of the ones that weren't hits are probably actually my favorite songs Mm -hmm. um and honestly this just missed my top five because in 2021, it's like it's hard to talk about this album because it's so controversial. Oh yeah, it's but it's so truthful because like these were a bunch of scuzzy 23 year old dudes living in Los Angeles area and just like getting shit faced and fucking strangers and like yep. doing fucking rip off deals and stuff. So it's it's 
it's good music because it's honest, but it also it's like I have to tiptoe around the subject matter. So I, it's kind of like yeah, know. like um sometimes it's 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 uh you can read a book to to read it and mm-hmm. then kind of like just be like oh that's what that's about you yeah. don't you don't have to take on the the characteristics of it or anything yeah. but uh like the other thing i think that makes this album for me so good is steven adler's drumming on this mm-hmm. is some of the most melodic drumming mm-hmm. i've ever heard it's so good with the melodies of the song and a lot of the time it's the real like backbeat i mean obviously it's a backbeat but it's the yeah. it's the fa- it's so groovy to like the lyrics and everything, I think Steven Adler is way underrated because he's records. He's like Ringo. Yeah, he's super. Like there's sometimes where you feel like he's dragging behind, but that's what gives it that feel, that like yeah. groove, that 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 swing that you're mentioning. Um, and yeah, because some of the drum fills he'll be swinging through, but then he'll just do like do 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 do, and you're like, whoa, whoa, that was like against what the feel you were just doing. Yeah, yeah. he'll be like grooving, and then like a straight up like da 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 boom. But yeah. and then back into the groove and stuff, really straight fills. The only album he played on with them. Yes. And then he was like, went on to heavy drug addiction. And I think he was on one of the like Dr. Drew's yeah, he rehab was. things. Yeah. He died like right after they wrapped production of that season and all that stuff. I think he's still alive. Oh. I think he was alive. I thought he died. No, because he, he, I, I don't think he, he, he might have passed away. Check. But I know that he came back with them to do at least a couple songs on their reunion when they got back together the first time. Really? Yeah, he went out on stage oh, and played. Oh, he is at, alive. He yeah. played a couple songs. He's with them. fifty-six years old. Only fifty-six, and he looks like he's eighty-five years yeah. old. Yeah, yeah. Tragedy, because he is. I mean, one. It's one of my favorite drum uh, oh, drums drummers to listen to. I'm thinking of there is a bass player from Alice in Chains who was on uh, maybe the same season or like the next season. He he died. Uh, Gotcha. Yeah, for sl- as far as Slash goes too, <clears throat> excuse me. What I love about it is that it's really kind of like we like you had mentioned Led Zeppelin. You know, it's obviously Slash plays a, a Les Paul, so he's gonna have that kind of classic sort of hard rock guitar tone. But it's really that nice melding between that old school style of guitar playing, like the Claptons and the Jimmy Pages and all that. But it's still late enough to where like the hair metal stuff had already happened, so that sort of like crazy fast virtuous like virtuistic kind of like guitar playing so it's kind of like the nice meeting point i think of those two kind of vibes as far as guitar playing goes because it'll still give you those nice big like angus young style you know pete townsend big ringing out chords and all of that stuff but he can still just you know he can shred with the best of them man i mean he can keep up there and the key to this album is the guitar interplay between slash and izzy straddling because there's so much, that's where all that Rolling Stones energy comes right. from. Because they're both doing different rhythm parts during the verses. And you can hear it, like, one will be panned left, one will be panned right. Yeah. You can hear the, like, difference in feel and, like, parts. Um, also, a yeah. bit of, like, a punk influence on this record, Definitely. too. Especially with, like, My Michelle. Because yeah. it, it, it took everything that was good about, like, every um, kind of big major movement in rock and really mm. compressed it into one such solid record. Yeah, and they and they to a certain extent aren't they? They're credited for kind of being like a I don't want to say a revival band, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like kind of like they kind of they kind of like pumped life back into like hard rock again because everything was just getting so you know the '80s, the hair metal, yeah. all that stuff. It was all getting so plastic and all that, and they kind of <laughs> yeah. came in and made things feel kind of a bit more organic again, a little bit more kind of back to basicsy kind of thing. I, not that's not to say that they're not complex in their own right. For sure they are, but. Yeah, they them and 
The other one that was mentioned as being kind of ba- a throwback was Motley Crue, but Motley Crue is is so much more hair metal than yeah. Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I would for say sure. At, this at the same time, too, uh, in that period, it would be uh, Shake Your Money Maker, the fucking Black Crows record that came out, which was like super rock. Like that, oh, was, that was late was, 80s, yeah, too. Probably, so that would have yeah. been like on the that rock and roll revival. Yeah. Yeah, Early right, 90s right. Thing. But I feel like Black Crows are definitely much more kind of like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, yeah, yeah I, uh, um, you know, I think Guns N' Roses definitely have that nice, like, sleazy yeah. rock and roll kind of a vibe about them. Also, you we know? didn't mention him, but he was like the Paul McCartney of that era. Duff McKagan's bass playing on this album is so underrated. Yeah. Right. So melodic. like, And that's your punk influence, right. too. Just listen to the, to listen to. Um, Sweet Child of Mine, he's doing all that melodic stuff. He's doing, it's all picked stuff. And exactly, it's very punk. Yeah. So great first choice, man. Yeah. yeah. I, great it, it reminds me of being like, I would be like 16. I would play it on my outside radio CD player and I'd be out like scraping the side of my parents' house like <laughs> yeah. for a couple weeks in the summer. Like yep. my dad would give me tasks to do. and I, I wake up about several. Blasting, <laughs> man. Like, I can't tell you musically how much i love this album and it's really just the lyrical content that makes me like take a step back and be like time and place yep but but musically this album is one of the best albums of the last 40 years period for sure before we move on favorite track off this record (sighs) what do you guys got i'll go first mine's definitely my michelle and mr brownstone close second and I like how horrible the lyrical content is on my Michelle. Um, Man, I, great, I, great line about doing coke. That, yeah. If it's like <laughs> so blatant, like, you know, there's your coke for free. Like that shit. I just something that's so sleazy about it. I just love it. Yeah. I mean, I love every song. So I'll go with some under the radar ones. Uh, I like Out to Get Me, which is very punky. And. I'm gonna say Rocket Queen. Rocket Queen we're going is hard, so good. Like, let's be real. He, there's a sample in <laughs> the last third of the song, which supposedly is like they put the the mic on and Axl Rose was fucking someone in the studio, and it's just like <laughs> your orgasmic moans and stuff, and it's just like you can't close an album better than that. Not just somebody. I think it was the drummer's girlfriend. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Oh, it was gosh, one of their sure girlfriends was. that wasn't I'm Axl. Sure it was. Uh, yeah, I love those both of the songs, you know, all the songs that you guys mentioned. But I just think as a as an opening track for a debut album, Welcome mm-hmm. to the Jungle, I mean, does it really get any better than that? You know what I mean? You know what you are? Like yeah. the screaming and all that. Like it's uh it's just it's a great introduction to the band. Yeah. And I think the die. rest of the album definitely doesn't it doesn't let off, you know, the whole album's yeah. great. Love this album. Yeah, right on. Great pick, Mike, man. What, Mike, what's your first choice? Um, okay. Well, let's see here cuz um I was trying to think. I I wouldn't. All right. I, I guess the we way know that your first one is. Go with your first one. Yeah. Go with your heart. Well, well, Black Sabbath. Yeah. Black Sabbath. The first Black Sabbath album. Um, it's the birth of heavy metal. It's the the album was written and reco- well, not written. I'm sorry, but like the album was done in 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 one day at a twelve a twelve hour right. session. They literally went in, did everything pretty much live, played the set through. Uh, Ozzy sang with the band as they were performing it in live in studio. And then they took a couple of hours to do some overdubs. And I think like the chimes, the bells in the beginning of the song, black Sabbath. And then like some of the, the, uh, the mouth harp yeah. in, yeah. um, 
that was that song called bow, the, the Village, bow, bow, something like bow, that. Bow, bow. Yeah. Sleeping Village, yeah. Yep. Sleeping Village, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's top notch playing. Obviously, Paranoid is the album that gets all the accolades and all that stuff. But for me, when it comes to Sabbath, I'm definitely an al- like a first album guy. Paranoid's great, but the first album is just so unique. Also, it's got the the freshly fingerless Tony Iommi <laughs> playing on <laughs> playing on guitar. And fun fact, that entire album originally was supposed to be recorded on a Fender Stratocaster. Oh. But like something went awry, I think with a like a pickup died or whatever, and the SG was the backup guitar that he had. So that's why he ended up playing the SG on the on the record, and then that would end up being the, the it's such guitar. a better sound. It, when single coils with that kind of music, it gives it too much like too right. Much but because they, they were like a blues band weight. before that called Earth, right? They were called yeah. Earth. Um, Correct. But uh, but yeah, I just I love how jammy it is. I love how like some songs go into others. I love the 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 scariness of the of the title track. Uh, I like how there's like three real songs. That's because it's like They're black like sweets. Black yeah. Sabbath is a song. Nib is a song. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, e- like Wicked World's a song, right? Yeah. And then like the B side is kind of like the Abbey Road suite of heavy metal. Like you get like the um the you know the village song and then it like changes into something else and it all kind of loops back around into itself on the on the um on the B side. So yeah. that's what I kind of like about it. I guess Wicked World. Yeah. yeah, and then the uh, have you guys ever heard that. the European version, which has like different track listing and it has like, different e- yeah, songs? it has Evil Woman on it. That was the single. That was the I've first signal that they released. Yeah, it's got it's evil. a cover though. Evil Woman wasn't originally yeah. them, right? Yeah, crow. evil. Yeah, it's a crow cover. It yeah. takes out Wicked World and puts in Evil Woman and like switches up the the track listing. And there's less of the like three songs smashed into one track type of feel. Right. Yeah, I have a I have. I I've have a nice like W like a war- nice Warner Brothers Green Label repress, and then I have a UK pressing. And the UK pressing, that's yeah, it's got like the alternate kind of hmm. thing going on. I like the US version with yeah. um with Wicked World on it. Yeah, I yeah, think- Evil Woman's a cool song, but it's not. I, you're just I like, like Wicked eh. World. I think it's a, a better tune. Yeah, it's their own. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, man. I mean, just just for the the um the the landmark album that it is the the very much like oh okay like the psychedelic blues rock that was happening in the UK now all of a sudden got really dark and kind of scary I mean I think Zeppelin took it to some dark ish places but not in the way that Black Sabbath did and yeah. Black Sabbath just completely just went into a studio cranked their amps all the way up and just basically just jammed a, an entire album out in one day so it's I mean it's pretty impressive yeah I like the immediacy of it um, I dig the Christian guilt thing um, like that's a cool vibe about it um, and I love then, that it swings yeah it's I was just gonna say that that was my yeah. other thing is like it swings much better than Zeppelin does Zeppelin doesn't really swing and then like the who whoa, 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 whoa. weren't swingy at all. Yeah, I mean, the Who were like Zeppelin the, doesn't swing like this. No, the Who were, the Who yeah. swings like like a seasick, like you're you know yeah. crabbing. I think Bill Ward <laughs> Bill Ward is more a jazz Mitch drummer. Mitch Mitchell than yeah. he is John Bonham. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that's kind of a cool vibe. But I definitely love this record. Super. I, I think this, what gives this the weight and heaviness and that heavy heavy metal feel is not what heavy metal is now, which is like notes notes notes. It's the space. There's like almost nothing going on in a lot of these songs. Yeah. It's just the like, don't, 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 don't. It's heavy bong. on feel yeah. than notes, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's the. 
And yeah, this is, it's kind of like this warbling, like this is Geezer Butler is like the main lyricist for the most part, the bass player, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he did. He did most of the lyrics writing, I think, up until what, like maybe sabotage. Uh, I think he did, well, or just everything, all of it. Yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. So it's got. I mean, I yeah, I love the, I love the evil thing. I love the fact that this is what 1970 that this came out. 69. But it was maybe it was Seven. recorded in '69. I think it's it late. 70. If it's if yeah. it is came out early '70 and then Paranoid came out later that year. Yeah. Right, right, yeah, because yeah, it was they were kind of like the one-two deal. But uh, but I just love that. I love the fact that it's like, you know it's '1970. There's flower children. There's hippies. There's all this, and then Black Sabbath comes out. You know, and it's like just, a black cloud. Yeah, yeah you know man. what this album really says? It says the bums lost Lebowski. <laughs> the bums lost. <laughs> what was the shirt that Ozzy would wear? Kill the hippies or something like? <laughs> Well, isn't yeah. that just a fun way of saying the bums lost? The yeah. bums lost. Uh, yeah. But it is. It's it's dark. It's brooding. It's um, you know, it's very much like you know, where, uh, where were they from? Um, Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham. Birmingham. You know, yeah. It's an industrial town. It's like mm. the Pittsburgh of uh, yeah. of the UK. You know, and it sounds like that. I mean, it's like music out of a steel mill. You know, so yeah. it's very cool. You know, I love that the, swing I love the though, sound. man. That like on the ride swing. Yeah. Like, and and the bass. That's what everybody. That's what everybody loses now. Style. Yeah, that got taken like that got taken out of heavy metal. Yeah, heavy now, metal now is so European. Yeah, straight. very very straight yeah. and structured, and everything's really yeah. loud, and it doesn't swing anymore. And that's yeah. why I think a lot of people don't understand about Sabbath is yeah. that it does swing like a jazz group. Do you guys have a favorite track off of here? Yeah. Uh, uh, I definitely got to go NIB. It's yeah, so good. me too. Me too. Yeah. It's so good. NIB the wizard. I also love mm-hmm. NIB how it steals that Buddy Holly lyric and the and like that bridgey part. Your love for me has got to be real before you know just how I feel. Oh. Your love for me has got to be real. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I always love that because mm-hmm. it takes it right back to the original. So. Yeah. Yeah. Love the so, album. Black Sabbath. Listen to it. It's an amazing Dun. album. <laughs> also, st- that stolen from classical music from Holtz, the Planets, yep. Mars. Movement and all that stuff. Yeah, the tritone, man. Yeah. It's the devil chord. Yeah, it is. Can't go wrong. Nice and scary. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey, pick number one. Uh, my pick number one. I don't have these in any order, but I'll talk about this one first. It's Van Halen, Van Halen. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, it's just, it's kind of all the things that we talked about with um, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. It's like this is a band that I guess they played five 45-minute sets five or six nights a week for like four or five years before making this album. So they were such a tight unit. They were such a well-rehearsed band, such a such a clear sound, a mix of hard rock and like Motown soul and a little bit of that punk edge. Some show tune action in yeah, there. Yeah, like <laughs> I, 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 I love Van Halen. And this first album, like we talked about with Black Sabbath, the thing that sets us apart from the hard rock and what was about to become hair metal of that time is this band swings their fucking ass off. Oh, yeah. Like, it's all swing music, basically. And David Lee Roth is like, he's like the love child of Frank Sinatra and Robert Plant. Yeah. Because he just is like, I'm a singer, baby. And he does like the, all the like seagull <laughs> shrieks and stuff and and it's just it's high octane heavy metal swing music yeah um and 
the album, the first of like the next six were all produced by the same guy, Ted Templeman. It has the, of course, Eddie Van Halen is like, there's some multi-tracks of the guitar, but for the most part, he's like playing rhythm, 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 and they'll do like lead lick and then go back to rhythm, rhythm, rhythm. And it's Michael Anthony on just like walking bass, single eighth note stuff, and the classic high harmony stuff that really made that Van Halen sound. And then you got Alex Van Halen with the double bass, and crazy swing, just crazy swing. Oh, yeah. Um, songwriting, again, like all these debuts, it comes down to the songs, and there's not a bad song in, in this whole bunch. And they're really like some of the most iconic songs of the 70s. And uh, yeah, I love this album. Same thing where it's like I bought this album when I was 15. And I used to I used to purposely go late to school so that I could walk the mile to school listening to this album. So like my entire sophomore year of high school, I would be late like two days a week <laughs> because I would, just, <laughs> I would just walk with my Walkman. I'd listen to Van Halen 1 pretty much every day for like three or four straight months. Yeah. Um, it's just it's such yeah. a, the album is such a like a game changer too because like every everything after that album was changed yeah it changed everything mm-hmm. um like you said the songs are great on there and like if you're let's just talk like you're saying on the swing of things like we're building off the Sabbath one um uh what is it uh sh- uh, uh the one you want or show your love. Is that I'm the, the I'm the one. I'm the one. That's where the name it does of the, the song. Do, 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 oh, yeah. do, do, do. That song acapella is stuff so insane. Yeah. Um. It's so swingy. It's got the drums in that song are like so intense. Yeah. Um. The vocals in the in the uh where they say I'm the one, the one you want. Yeah. And then they got the harmonies on the show. Uh, come on, baby, show your love. I just love it. It's so intense. Um. Yeah. It's over. Like before you even can like realize what's happening mm. in the song, it's over yeah. too. Um, I just love it. Also, um, like you know, we we're saying like a little bit punky, like uh, the Guns N' Roses one. Like this record would have been like ten years earlier, like maybe eleven, twelve years earlier, and it has a uh, atomic punk on there, mm-hmm. which really was building off that whole new wave movement too. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, there's just so many great sounds on here, and um. The uh, solo of Eruption into You Really Got Me yeah. really just kind of like running like, you know, f- like, you know, fuck the kinks. Like we're n- the kinks aren't even we're not even, we're just taking the song because it's rock and roll and we're showing you what we do with it now. It's like it takes everything kinky out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. and the, the, the special sauce, not in, like not you were kinky, saying, but you know what I mean? The, no, the yeah, kink yeah. style, the special sauce, though, that you were saying how like Eddie Van Halen would play the riff and he would do some riffage and then in the middle he'd find those like little bits of space where he could just do these crazy like like you know like random stuff like all over the place he was so. like a ho- he was more like a horn section than a guitar player yeah because he would when he's comping during the verses it's very much old style how you'd have like two saxes in a band doing the like yeah you do like like these kind of like bebop solo stuff um, yeah, and this, of course, just has, like, the classic rock staples, the Running with the Devil, Eruption, You Really Got Me, Ain't Talk About Love, Jamie's Ain't Crying. Love. So right there, there's four songs that are, like, yeah. hu- they're played fucking every day on every classic rock radio station. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just... It's a perfect record. It's a, it's it really a is record. perfect. 
Yeah, like the the most lacking song on this whole record is probably "Little Dreamer," which is just another like mid tempo oh ballad. Oh my god! I see. I think, but the, that's me personally. That's my least favorite, and even that, I give it a B plus. And like, see, my yeah. least favorite on here is "Atomic Punk," okay. but I even like shouted that one out as being yeah, like yeah. a good one. I love "Little Dreamer," yeah. man. I get into that groove. Like Little that song is so groovy, man. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I dig. I dig how like that has yeah. like a um. And it's so much better than, like, a lot of the power ballads that would come after it, too. Yeah. Even just, like, their ballads were mm. rocking, man. Because it grooved. Yeah. It's very, like, you could tell the Isley Brothers influence. Yes. The Motown influence. Yeah. Yes, and even, like, the Motown, they did Dancing in the Street, like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And then that, you're just like, oh. Because that's what this band was. They were they were touring the hard rock scene in Los Angeles area, and but they were playing all soul and classic rock covers. And... Like David Lee Roth has said in interviews, like they had a songbook of like 500 songs. Yeah. Because they would play, they would set up, play for 45 minutes at some party, tear down, go two miles down the street, play another party for 45 minutes, go down three miles, play another party. And they do that every night for months. Yeah. And for years, like they were doing that. I think he said for like, it was about four years before released, before doing this solo album. So you can hear all the bits of every other everything that, they were taking, all the covers yeah. they played by everybody, and yeah, they were like a well-oiled yeah. machine by the time they went oh, to the man. studio. There's like, there hasn't been, I don't think there's been that been a band that has such a from the jump. There is the Van Halen sound because every album through the David Lee Roth era, they all sound Van. Every song is Van Halen. It's like they have a yeah. sound, even though all the songs can have different structures. It's like. That sound is the swinging drums, the virtuosic and like in the pocket guitar, the driving bass with the harmonies, and then just like the wild man swing screaming persona. Up just front. the gigolo. Yeah, like <laughs> I mean, like you listen. I think it's with David Lee Roth. I think it was it was maybe seven albums through 1984, and they're all just like you could put them on shuffle. And in other than the heavy plate reverb on this first album. You couldn't really place what album all those are on because for yeah. that like six year run, they're all interchangeable because they have that s- just that defined sound. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite song on this album, if I'm picking one, it's "I'm the One" because it just starts with the double bass and it's doing it, and it yeah. goes into that with the stack <laughs> harmonies, yeah. and then it's like it's. It's crazy. I love that song. Yeah, that's also my favorite, yeah. hands down. Hands. It's and it's the, most the first com- side closer too, which is like, oh my god. It's so complicated, and it's like a, it's like you said, it's like everything that had happened in popular music from like 1950. They like threw it in one song, yeah. and it's so intense. It's hands down my favorite. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I do love "Ain't Talking About Love" because, yeah. like, yeah. let's be real. That I mean, it's an incredible song. Yeah. It's an incredible song. But I agree with you in that way where it's they do incorporate this super polished radio friendly kind of sound but the but in terms of what they're doing uh musically it's so complex and complicated and like what the fuck like it blows your mind you know and that's why you had like an entire generation of guitar players that were just cha- you know what i mean it was like everyone was chasing the clapton sound and then van halen came out and everyone was now it's like oh no this is the new it's before, this is the new before sound before and after is a line this is 1978 sand. Yeah, and I think they kicked off the energy and like a lot of the signatures of what would become hair metal, yeah. which was very poppy, radio-friendly melodies with like stacked harmonies, very virtuosic guitar leads. Yeah. But the thing that almost no other heavy metal band for that hair metal time had 
was the swing and like the heavy blues and jazz influence yeah. of like almost every chord in Van Halen is like a ma- it's a seventh chord. It's all that blues shit. It's like yeah. really beboppy jazz blues stuff. Where and then everybody went power chords in in hair metal. But like Van Halen wasn't afraid to do those four finger chords and like make things very jazzy. Like there's some songs on this album that end with one that's like like these kind of jazz endings are like wow wow <laughs> like yeah. these kind of like yeah and nobody else sound like that until like I know that extreme a decade later extreme tried to put in a lot of that funky jazzy type of stuff on their second album but by then it's ten years later it sounded so different it yeah didn't it was have the it was di- it was diluted by yeah. then that it, that yeah. idea had already been mined out yeah but yeah I mean just the high octane soul rock music is like it's otherworldly man I yeah love, i love van halen i love van halen <laughs> yeah i really love this record because jeff showed me how good this record was <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes you need someone to be like what let me tell you about it and then you know <laughs> yeah right on nice well moving on luke um, Pick number two for you. I can't remember my full list because I don't have my phone in front of me, but I'm going to go off memory. And my other one I remember that I picked. T-shirt. T-shirt? T-shirt. I thought it Oh, I, okay. One. Well, I'll go with that one then because yeah. then I'll remember the other one for later. Uh, Ramones. I picked the Ramones first album. Yeah. Ramones self-titled. I think this came out in 74 or 76. It's one of those. 70. Six sounds right. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna say maybe '76 this came out. But anyway, um, the Ramones' first album, '76. Um, yeah. yeah, I was right. So, um, I really, really like this record for a ton of reasons. I could talk about it for an hour. But why I like this record is, um, it was released in the mid '70s. You had um, the Who were making like uh, rock operas. You know, uh, by that time, Zeppelin had, like, run through the blues standards and were about to, you know, do... They did uh, House of the Holy, so it's all very proggy. You have Yes, all these bands. Um, And then you have the Ramones from New York City who were going to wear, like, what the Beatles wore before they got in their suits. They were going to wear leather jackets and jeans and... Yeah, their Hamburg look. Yeah. Yeah. So they took that vibe. They took um, the Beatles' assumed name and called themselves the Ramones. Or like, um, and they became like a fake pseudo family. Um, they put this real hard image together. And then um, what I really like about it and why I think it's so good of a debut is all the songs on it um, fit really well into the structure of old school rock and roll. Um, but with like a tilt of mental illness to it, <laughs> um, yeah, for real. right? Like, is that because yeah. like that's what I think it is? I think it's, alienation and loneliness and some druggy, yeah, drug, druggy, yeah, stuff. like sniffing glue. It yeah. just spoke to like it spoke to me on this level of like uh, you know everybody like you know disenchantedness, um, and I think it does it beautifully. It sticks it in like a classic rock and roll style. Um, the buzzsaw guitar on this record. Um, the the childness uh, childlikeness of the lyrics like I don't want to go down to the basement and um, you know stuff like that I, that's why I, I now I want to sniff some glue like you can't even like get weed because you don't know where it is but you figured out how to sniff modeling glue <laughs> it's just like that kind of stuff um, you know I just really think this record was so different from anything else that was out at the time it was just so yeah. different um, and it still hits me just just as powerfully um i think it's you know a super powerful record in a slackery way 
Yeah, I mean, going back to like what we were, to, what, I, I think a, a reoccurring theme that you appreciate, Luke, is the like you like to say the immediacy of the project or the urge, a sense of urgency and stuff. They recorded this album in a week, mm-hmm. you know, and kind, all right, Sabbath did a day, but you know what I mean. It's still that same idea where it's just like, no, we have this thing, we have to, you know, it's like the stars aligned and this like perfect album was born. And I definitely feel like this is. This is, you know, to that easy like top ten, my, one of my top ten favorite albums of all time. Just, just for what it is, it's right. just such a, and it's back again. Going, it's like back to basics. Yes. Like this is rock and roll. It's like you know Chuck Berry on s- sniffing glue. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, okay, so yeah, that's the other part of it is the immediate. It's the it's the absolute stripped down essence of rock and roll. It's guitar, bass, and drums, and they're all just going in the same, making a giant solid wall of sound like Spectre would have done with his mono recordings, mm-hmm. but it's all, but it's, it's done in a way that the band is all playing in this locked groove and wall of noise and yeah. pressure. And, um, that's why everything comes, uh, I think the lyrics come across. So like, you know, direct and marchy and, um, that kind of thing, you know? I, and I like the, how you said the lyrical content is that alienation outsider thing. And there were awkward outsiders in rock music, but especially like mid seventies, you talk about the height of cock rock and like stadium crowd pleasing fucking dick swinging stuff. And yeah. these were just four weirdo dudes who like probably after the shows like didn't even talk to people and like they purposely had the long banged hair so that they could like hide behind it and just like look at the ground while they played and yeah. it was very strange for that time. And that's what was punk about this band is like they were like four outcasts that somehow the American, you know, pop culture picked up on this sound and really embraced it because really they would be a band that would just be like pushed to the side. Yeah. And, but they were like heralding something new and carrying a banner for this new type of music, which was yeah. then, you know, you go with the talking heads and stuff that was that punky mixed with new wave stuff where it was a lot of like awkward weirdos making music. Yeah. Um, yeah. The CBGBs. Yeah. Uh, so this this that. this album it's 14, 14 songs. How long do you think this, this, this album is? This album is 14 songs, and I think it's it clocks in at under a half hour. Yeah. It is 29 minutes, minutes, four seconds. Man, I did know that. I was like, this album's 29 yeah. minutes long. So, th- so, And the longest song, I think, is two and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. And which is great because, like, it's just... Are there? There's a couple like guitar leads. There's not really guitar solos. No, but there's uh, some like lead sections with some breaks with guitar. Yeah, which I don't think Johnny plays either. I think oh, I no. think the I think whoever recorded it um, oh. overdubbed the guitar oh, solos okay. on it. Um, I think it's, uh, it might have like some organ. I think mm. uh, on it too on um, one of the songs. But um, also there's like a um, uh, the vocals are double tracked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jackie's a punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, has Judy's a, a punk. Judy yeah, is yeah. a punk. Yep. Has um Dee Dee doing that uh mm-hmm. high that high harmony that's yep. like not on at all but on. Yeah, it's yeah. super weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just and it also has today your love tomorrow in the world on it. Mm-hmm. Like that song where they're like tongue in cheek play- making fun of Nazis. Like yeah, right. Like the and they're the, what's the rules of Germany? Uh, eat cooked salami. Be nice to your mom. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh. Like that kind of stuff, which was big because in the mid seventies there was this American Nazism revival. Yeah, they, they make fun of it in the Blues Brothers movie, like there's yes. the Illinois Nazis and stuff. Yeah. And so a band from New York with just like speaking truth to a lot of things that were almost like in their music, it's talked about pl- 
plainly and it's not like lionized and celebrated like a lot of that cock rock is like sleaze and drugs and women and like fuck it it's this is party central yeah and they were like we are afraid that this is the way the world is <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> yeah yes. and i mean th- for me uh, granted it's not this album it's the the live record but you know, speaking to Tommy Ramone and then Marky Ramone, like the drumming is just so like, how is this? How are they not getting gassed out within at least the first f- five minutes? And it's yeah. and it's like when you, especially when you listen to them live, it's literally like song one two three four into the next one one yeah. two three four into the next one. Like the the uh, the stamina and the you know like the 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 need to just like sustain and keep it like you know what i mean like you can't th- this is the type of band where it's like it's so intense and so fast all the time that it's like you can't just like give it all in the first few minutes you know you kind of have to like sustain through the whole thing and like that for me is just so impressive like that hot sh- 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 on the hi-hat like it's just so aggressive and fast and keeps just go it's like a it's like a you know a steam engine just you know so i love them favorite track favorite track on here um i don't know i like i love all of them but i definitely love today or love tomorrow the world um chainsaw i like a lot uh but i probably like the one i connect with the most is i don't want to go down to the basement um just because I love the child likeness of that of that lyric, I love the whole getting in the little kid's brain and you're afraid of the dark. Mm. Beautiful. I like Judy as a punk, probably Ugh. the best. If I pick one, second verse, same as the first, yeah. bro. Uh, I want to be your boyfriend's my. I love yeah. that song because it's just so because it because it's so funny because it, it it is so reminiscent of like the 1950s greaser like yeah. at like the dairy bar like uh, you know what i mean like uh, like a young man being like hey little girl i want to be your boyfriend but it's like coming from like this you know this uh gangly this g- yeah yeah well I, I gaunt think, is I, that the right word <laughs> like, i think it's too it's like the it's the law lo- i it's uh, gonna get a little deep here but it's like the lostness of the american value of like where you had cock rock being like squeeze my lemon and then joey ramone's like hey like do you want to be my boyfriend can i hold your it's hand mo- it's more <laughs> yeah, right. it's more sweet it's more yeah there's more there's a sense of innocence yeah. to innocence it too to it. Yeah. yeah that's why i dig for it. sure for sure definitely more artsy great record one of my yeah one of my favorites yeah it's the yeah I, for sure what we got next all right what we got next oh it's my turn oh, oh wait we, did we list fa- oh did we list favorite songs yeah we did yeah. that yeah cool. all right Moving on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Onward, onward, and upward. Um, I'm gonna. (laughs) The train keeps rolling. Uh, the album that I'm going to choose next is um, uh, is an album that was actually sampled by one of Jeff's picks, uh, and that is King Crimson in the Court of the Crimson King. Um, this album, I love it so much because I feel, I think it's 1969 it was released and it's that perfect melding, I think of like the psychedelic rock and the prog rock. It's that nice sort of kind of like mix of both of them. You know, you get the Mellotron heavy stuff, but then 21st century schizoid man is just so hard hitting and it has like that nice aggressive kind of a rock feel. But then there's the section in the middle with like the sax solos and the, Guitar solos and it gets kind of like it gets kind of crazy, but everything is done on purpose. It's not, it's not that you know goodbye cream like live uh, vibe where it's just kind of like well anything can happen for the next two minutes. This 
has a bit has that kind of looseness feel where it feels like it's almost kind of made up on the spot but the contributing musicians you know were definitely on a different level like with robert fripp and then uh greg lake as well like it's uh it's a great it's a great album and i'm not an i'm not an emerson lake and palmer guy myself but you know this uh this is the third whitest album of all time <laughs> is I... only topped by by fragile by yes and the lamb dies down on broadway by genesis because <laughs> like it's all like english folk music meets heavy rock music. yeah i the older i get uh, this might be an unpopular opinion here Please. but the older i get the more i dislike this album yeah. really liked what? it when i was younger i think because yeah. it was new to me yep. and now i love schizoid man yep i I could I can't even tell you. I could just listen to the album. I can't tell you any other song on it. I, I like can't. I talk to the wind. It's the one after twenty first century schizoid. I mean very fluty. It's very fluty. It's cool. The album play see, this is for me too. The album it's not like offensive to me, but like the first album the first song is so good mm. and then nothing nothing even sure. remotely rivals it no, for well, the rest it, of the record. Yeah. So that's why I, I'm like, eh, I yeah, I'll I'll agree with you. The on rest that. of the album is kind of like music you would play in the future if a king was entering his court. Yeah, see, <laughs> like yeah. literally, literally, like in the court of the Crimson yeah. King at the end has like Mellotron trumpet fanfares and stuff. And yeah. I love, I love the Mellotron. It's my yeah. one of my favorite, and I still can't really jive with the rest of this record. Really, me. see, well, that was a big selling point for me with the with the record itself, and I I mean I do love prog rock. Shout out to the Get in the Garage program episode. Actually, was the first episode with Jeffrey on it. Early on, the prog yes. rock for those about to moog. We salute yes. you. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I I, I understand. I definitely understand what you're saying, Luke. In that way, where it's you know it's probably it's I, I love this record. I think it's a phenomenal debut album for a band. The rest of their discography not very interested in it per se i've listened to a bit of it not crazy right that's what i mean it's yeah Yeah. um but i think that you're not a big fan of the chapman's (laughs) (laughs) but what i'm saying is is i think you know um i think that it is one of the greatest debut albums yeah um in terms of its importance and where it sits in the excuse me rock and roll musical canon but I will agree with you, Luke, in the way that it's like I don't find myself going back to it really as often as it's like I listen to it when I listen to it. I listen to it a bunch, and now it's like I'll throw on Schizoid Man every now and again just to get a little bit of the juice. But other than that, like, you know, or if I'm just kind of like doing stuff around the house on putt putt, and it's like a nice kind of like background music thing once you get out of Schizoid Man. Put on your cape and yeah. vacuum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I dress like Rick Wakeman and I, and, I, and I dust my house. I think the MVP of this album, Gre- I mean, Greg Lake, I think great singing on this album. Yeah. He's also the bass player. But the MVP is Ian McDonald, who does all yeah, the keyboard right, instruments, right. all the Mellotron stuff, and sax, flute, yeah. clarinet, and you know, bass clarinet. That's why I like the... Um, Mikhail, uh, Giles. Oh, Giles. Um, Michael Giles. G- yeah, it's Giles. Michael Giles, and the drummer. Yeah, they yeah. have a record. It's him, and then it's the oh, uh, who's the other guy there? Yeah, that he does they have with. another record that came out after that, which I enjoy more because the whole thing is more mellow, a uh, mellow affair, as where you know. Yeah, I picked that record up. Remember, like, yeah, yeah. Giles, like last Giles year. Giles and Fripp. Yep. Yeah, Giles and Fripp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Right. Which I like that and record. It's a good record. Yeah. I like that record a little bit more. I enjoy um, it. If you look at the cover, you might recognize it. It's like it's two people on it. It's purple. And very strange for me is that Ian McDonald, the the wind instrument and keyboard player, it's like sometimes you look at 70s music and you're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? He went on to be one of the founding members of Foreigner. Yeah, right, right. Which is just like Foreigner is very much just it's like it's in the same category as Journey to me, which I guess yeah. you can you can hear the Six. trace elements of that classical yeah. proggy stuff. But it's just very strange that this dude like went from wearing like a fucking jester's costume to like <laughs> wearing a long trench coat and playing like stadium rock. Yeah, he's yeah. double vision, bro. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> truly. <laughs> Truly. So, yeah, it's just, you know, again, um, I think uh, when I was looking in terms of debut albums and stuff, I, I also the th one of the things I tried to consider was just kind of like the impact on the, no, on no. the story and all that this stuff. Is... And I do feel like it's a landmark album in that in that sense. Personal personal taste and preference. You know, obviously it always changes. You I, know, I agree with you on that front. And it's not like I don't like this album. It's just, you know, I could take it and leave it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. very it's very lord of the rings yes. which is my that's my lane <laughs> baby come on man i'm hanging out in the misty mountains <laughs> i mean i i i listened to this album for the first time when i got to college and same thing it was like i was not into music like this i didn't listen to any of that yes and you know sticks and all that kind of shit um but i loved all the sax stuff on this i loved all the flute stuff on it yeah mm. and i like how greg like greg lake's vocals aren't that like super british like i'm in the high mountains of yes. the fucking moon yeah like, right, even though right. the lyrics are kind of like that he still has more of a straight ahead kind of soul influenced rock voice yeah um yeah i I, I think this is a this is like a tip of the hat album right because right. i i'll listen maybe to this, this would have been more appropriate as an honorable mention yeah, but I mean, it's all. I think this is a good Subjective. pick for you because you. Uh, this is a mic. Twenty percent of all the music you listen to is in this lane. Yeah, right. So, true, true, true. Because um, I am a big yes guy. I'm yeah. a big, you know. Pairs and, pairs well with the jazz cabbage. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I put this album on like I'll listen to it like probably <laughs> once a year. Yeah, me too. And every time I listen to it, I'm just like, yeah, man, I'm into I'm into these nine minute long songs. The rest of the kind of shit that is grouped with it, I'm not so much into it. Yeah. But I like the variety. Me you don't want to listen to Gentle Giant. Yeah, see, that was one too. That was another one that I tried to get into in terms of prog, and I'm like, I mean, it's okay, but yeah. I like soul heavy rock prog. I don't like the classical European pan flute. Bullshit. If there's harpsichord on it, you're gonna hard pass it. Yeah, and anytime the vocalist <laughs> it's like, is like Bach took LSD. You are in the dark mountains. And like, yes, yes, vocals. Yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like this as a debut album, and it's so different than what was to come from this band. Yeah. Just because people left. I think this was the only album with Greg Lake on yeah. it. Yeah, I'm I think so, yeah, because the, the lineup started changing yeah. and stuff. And it was a different lineup, I think, for literally every album afterwards. Yeah, for the next couple, and then they stabilized in the late 70s with, um, I can't think of his name. Yeah, I don't know. Adrian Ballou and the, the bass player who plays Chapman Stick and mm -hmm. played with Peter Gabriel. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, so there we go. King Crimson yep. in the court of the, in the court have that Crimson King. <laughs> yeah, there are. Oh, some shout out to also the <laughs> real fast great album cover. One of the best oh, of all oh, fucking yeah. times. It's so fucking good. The cover Screaming. might be, be the it's cover like, might be better than anything on it. I just love like the like the inside in the gatefold, yeah. and it's like I was reading a thing, and I forget who was commenting. It might have been Robert Fripp that was commenting on the album artwork, and it's just like because you know it's like the sun where he's got the hands or whatever or the moon or whatever it is whatever it's supposed to be, you're just like a random floating head. And he's like, you can see there's quite a bit of sadness in the eyes, oh, even though God. he's smiling. You know, you're like, all right. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's an iconic uh, album cover, too. You yeah. can't, you know, it's like, oh. that's what I think of when I see the face. Like, I'm like, oh. So, so yeah. Um, do we have a favorite? My favorite track of this Schizoid. Schizoid, man. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be Schizoid, man. I do like the song in the Court of the Crimson King, too. Sure. And I do like uh, Epitaph, I think Epitaph, is the name. Yep. Um, but, Moonchild, um, I think, is one. Yeah, Moonchild. But uh, but as for, as for like a, like a holy shit amazing yeah, yeah, album yeah. opener, 21st Century Schizoid, yeah. man's incredible. You know, so, so there we are. Uh, my next pick uh, is debut album from... The person I think is the most influential figure, maybe in all of hip hop music history, and that's Kanye West's debut from 2004, The College Dropout. Yep. Uh, this is this is the definition of like you have your whole life to write your first album because Kanye West was trying to be an artist, but he was getting denied, 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 and so he like just became a producer and was giving tracks to Jay Z and um, Talib Kweli and uh, Beanie Siegel and stuff like that for the two, three years before making this album. So this album was recorded, like he had snippets and parts of beats all the way back in 2000, uh, all back in 1999. So he was working on this mm. album. I guess he would go to the studio and like he would book studio time to make, to do producing work. And then he would like just carve out like 20 minutes at the end and he would work on his own stuff. So he would like do 20 minute sessions on his own stuff for years Yeah, to build up these beats. The, I think about 40% of this album was made on a on a uh like 24-bit digital sampler that you could buy for like $300. Oh uh, no way. Yeah. I looked it up the other day and I'm like, "Oh man, I, I should buy one of these." <laughs> <laughs> um It's good enough for Kanye. Yeah, for real. And this album, it just uh it really brought the the full Kanye sound, which is that uh pitch sped up like chipmunk soul vocals. It has all those electro bass, like pro, like uh, keyboard bass stuff. Great 808s on it. Great 808s. A lot of that gospel influence, a lot of like these gospel choirs during the choruses. Um, you have like lead violin played by Miri Ben-Ari, who does this like kind of like multi-track lead violin on a lot of these songs. Um, features some people, uh, features John Legend on background vocals and piano on a song or two. Features Kanye West's cousin Tony Williams on backup vocals on like seven of the songs. Um, he does like a solo version of "I'll Fly Away," the gospel song. So it's like seven tracks of Tony Williams doing the vocals. Um, I, I this isn't my favorite Kanye West album, but I listened to it start to start to back the other day, and it's just like it still so holds up. It still sounds brand new. It sounds fresh. It sounds yeah. revolutionary. It's. Because it's like it came out at a time when it was really like radio rap was ruling the charts. It was like flossing and spending money and bling bling and shit like that was on the radio. And he brought that that social consciousness stuff that was in underground rap and he was able to meld the two worlds together. 
um, to great success. You know, like this started off a string of like four albums in a row that he won like the best rap album Grammy and yeah. yada yada. And um, and this was like the year before Jay Z's Black album came out in 2003, late 2003, and Kanye did the beats for like almost half that album. Yeah. And like two years before that in 2001 was the blueprint and Kanye did like three, four, five, six songs on that album. So he was getting known as a producer, but like him being an artist and him having the songs and there were so many singles on this album, Jesus walks, all falls down, new workout plan, um, slow jams, which was with featuring Jamie Foxx and like mm-hmm. made Jamie Foxx into I think really pushed him into being like, oh, this dude can sing too. Yeah. Um, Through the Wire, which was like he recorded the week after he got in a near fatal car accident and his wires, his jaws shut, like wired shut. So he's kind of rapping like this the whole time and you can hear it. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is just like 17 years later. It still is like sounds fresh. So what year did this album come out? This came out in early 2004. So okay. this is right. And he like. Yeah. He is the hip hop artist. He's not in my generation, like my age range, but as far as my listening generation, he dropped. So his beats were out when I was 13. And then this came out when I was 15. And like, he's everything. I mean, right. He's the guy. So as a non hip hop fan or like someone that wasn't into this when it came out. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, I'm, I was looking back and like, you know, you're trying to find context and Mm -hmm. stuff. And, um, I, from listening to this, I was like, Oh, he was way on the front of like, um, you know, it's like that that because you have like the crystal phase, like you would have been mm-hmm. coming out of, right? And then he's like the I'm gonna look fresh in a polo right. kind of guy, right? Um, and rap about some things that are more conscious or like, you know what I mean? And especially like with like the like what Get Rich Die Trying is yeah, like, yeah. you know, around, same year I think, or right, or two thousand five, around that same time. Yeah, two thousand two, two thousand three ish. Yeah, right. So even like the beats on like that Fifty yeah. Cent album, because that was an album I would have I listened to at that time. The beats on that, I don't think they hold up nearly, nearly as well as the beats on this Kanye mm-hmm. record, because uh, Kanye was taken like from what I listened to it. You know, when I listened to it the other day, he really took like. Um, Classic soul samples, like well, you know what I mean, which is like what's on his Wikipedia page. He'll say like that's, but the classicness of it is he keeps it all and then makes it his own thing. He puts the chipmunk voice on him, and it really becomes its own thing that is really rooted in um, past successes mm-hmm. of the genre of R and B and all that. Um, so I, I think it, it that's what makes it really timeless. And then listening back to it, I remembered like tons of songs on here yeah. and i didn't even actively listen to this like i i remember the when uh new workout plan came on i remember the yeah. music video and yeah, i was like yeah. oh yeah 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 it's <laughs> yeah. all coming back to me i feel like as a producer he 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 leans more rizza than he does dr dre and i think because get right, richard die trying that's dr. dre yeah very gangster so rap so yeah and but i I, agree, I definitely agree with you luke in that way where i i feel like this is put like this is pushing yeah i mean you listen to get richard die trying and it kind of sounds like an extent of an extension rather of the dr dre feel even though it's it's more like dr dre producing for eminem than it is dr dre producing for himself or like snoop but but yeah, I, I sometimes I feel like Dre can get a little like cheesy or corny with the beats mm-hmm. where I find with Kanye West, things feel kind of like fresh and new, but still carrying the torch of the 
This dude is thumbing through records to find the most obscure samples he can possibly find to try to create something that's really, really just different. And then the lyrical content at times is profound in that way. I mean, he's saying Jesus, you know, like he's talking about kind of big picture things. But I also love on this album how he includes the skits. If you listen to yeah. like the, the if you know, if you listen to like Mob Deep or you listen to Biggie or you listen to some of the, you know, the, 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 the artists and groups that would come right before right ish before you know you have these kind of like there's funny skits or there's little mm. interludes or there was you know you listen to wu-tang and like you know it's like a song opens up where he's just like he's calling the radio station requesting a wu-tang song here you have like what is it like little jimmy skit the school spirit skit you know you have yeah. these kind of like fun kind of playful kind of playful things you and know that's and that's D- i love that. davis who did the he does the bernie mac impression of like the school principal teacher and then he does the he also does the little jimmy voice who's like i went to college and i got a degree it'll keep me warm when i'm yeah. on the streets and, right right uh yeah i kanye west like this is not his best rapped album but it's he's the best producer he's the best music maker in hip-hop music in my opinion he he is definitely my favorite and I think he is also the best because he just melds all these worlds together. Because he's not he's not trying to be so RZA. Because RZA was like, let's take super obscure jazz and like soundtrack shit and yeah. like make it sound dirty and like not lined up. And things, like, yeah, off Kanye West is still and like very and polished and very much like very melodic. And it's all about hooks and like yeah. everything has a point. Oh, I also noticed too that he wasn't. Um, he d- did not shy away from um, sing rapping, right? To get like the rhyme in, yeah, yeah. or changing the shape of the word, how it yeah. came out of his mouth, and how he enunciated it. I, I noticed that a lot of other rappers of that era that I've listened to, I'm not like well versed guys, but um, yeah. like don't would not do that, and mm-hmm. would kind of like stay straight to the rap, and it goes yeah, yeah. like this, and we're gonna, and he would like bend words and make uh expresses go up or like come down with stuff and And using the auto-tune thing like in a really clever way too like it's blatantly obvious that he's using it but he does it as a as his own instrument rather than like this corrective i thought classy use of the auto-tune too where um it didn't sound it didn't sound super dated and just sounded like a fun effect you know what i mean where you listen like you could never listen to an akon record now ever right or like the t-pain kind of auto-tuning yeah there's some like uh, there's some like vocoder like like kind of what's that band from the 80s um is it daz what's i don't know there's like but it's that like electro like like in california love you have that yeah crazy vocal where it's more used as like i'm a robot effect instead of like i can't sing right yeah so it's that throwback to that 80s electro thing um and this is an album that it's just like the sing rapping and the kind of like putting too many syllables in line and kind of tripping over his tongue a little bit i think makes it better because it's more real and it's like this album if you take out the skits this album is still almost 20 tracks long yeah Yeah. i think taking out the skits there's still 18 or 19 songs on this album and i think it was really like him getting turned down record deal after record deal after record deal and then he's like i might have this one fucking shot and i believe myself i'm gonna put every song that i've made on this album george harrison style yeah Yeah, i was just gonna say yeah 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 And, and i love the last call the last song it's it's the most Kanye moment of the whole album because he has a song 
and then the last like seven minutes is the con is Kanye telling the Kanye story. <laughs> so, and I've, I've like, I've listened to podcasts. I've read articles where it's like the truth in the last call. And it's really like a man who's speaking about his own legend and like bullshitting and kind of like fabricating things. But he talks about his, his struggle from 18 on about like, I was making beats and then I thought I had a deal lined up at Columbia with this person. And he names people. He's like, this person, this person. And they didn't fucking call me back. And so I, and he's like putting all his business out there and he talks stream of consciousness about his whole life. And is this this also not very kid rock? Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, a devil without a cause. I'm going platinum. I'm going platinum. And I I love how hubris he's like, I played Jesus walks for them. They didn't sign me or, or there's a time where like in that big speech, he says like, I was in, I was in the studio, I was in the office and I dropped the line, uh, Mayonnaise, mayonnaise colored bands I push miracle whips and the guy's like oh damn and it's like that's a line he used in his song seven songs before like he's literally talking about the construction of this album and like I had this song in my back pocket and they didn't want it on an album yeah or like I made this beat for for common and he didn't want it so I just fucking saved it and I put it on my album and yeah I I just love it the the legend of Kanye as told by Kanye <laughs> um and like this is the Kanye style where like or, or really, the Kanye style after this album was using a team of his close associates to write his songs. So you see, like, written by, and it's like fifteen dudes. And if you look at, if you click on names, it's all these other rappers he would have come in the room, kind of like Dr. Dre style, and be like, yeah. have ghostwriters or team of writers, like, kind of helping him tweak lines. This album is, for the most part, it's him writing everything. Um, so it's just, it's it holds up, man. And like, you put this shit on, and it's. Because it's so soul and gospel, it just has this like bright, happy, like positive vibe feeling yeah. that is so, so different than a lot of hip hop music, which can get too, it gets either too like real life crime gutter stuff or it gets too much like I have millions of dollars and yes. fuck, fuck yeah, reality. Right, right, right. That's why I, you're right. This is like I'm working at Foot Locker and those my girl my, called me and broke up with me and shit like that. Yeah, Those right. are my favorite kind of rap records where yeah. it lies in, in between those two things. Yeah. Absolutely. That was well, yeah, yeah, well said, man. Yeah, great choice. Um, um, do, we, do we have a favorite song if 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 you want to pick one? Um, I do like Spaceship. Yeah. Jesus Walks, obviously. Yeah, Jesus Walks is great. I liked uh, the Slow Jam song. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm sorry. This is, like, this is me first like yeah, getting yeah. familiar with this record, but I really love the Slow Jam song um, and, like, the uh, like the Al, like the call-outs to, like, Al Green and shit. Like, I love that. Like, yeah. that was fucking cool. I, I love Family Business, which is, like, this really heartfelt gospel-influenced thing to talk about his family. And I really like Two Words, which is kind of a group thing. It has most Def and Freeway. Yep. And uh, the Harlem Boys Choir does the singing in the background. And that's very much like in-your-face political social conscious stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, right on. Well, let's um, take a quick break, a little commercial break. Luke, would you like to blow the honorary train whistle? And we will be right back. Now leaving Yeezus Station. <laughs> Most of us, i.e. comedians, treat open mics as a necessary evil. But not Silas P. Every week, Silas talks to a veteran of the sights, sounds, and smells of the Philly open mic scene, sharing stories of momentary triumph and lingering failure with enough shit talk sprinkled in to make you listen to hear your name. I'm like... 
35% sure that I'm in there. So pay attention, hang out in the room, and maybe you'll learn why you got bumped on the launching pod. What is that, Jeff? 1968 issue of Hit Parader featuring uh, a nature-bound Simon Garfunkel. Paul Simon doing my famous nature pose where you straddle nature that nice and wide show, show your dominance on the trees. <laughs> uh, music journalism of that day is my favorite music oh, journalism. 19, 35 cents, 1968. So God, good. That, that's steep. Yeah, they get the, influ- re- the influence of B.B. King, the opening article. B.B. King, probably 32 years old. Yeah. What is a thirty-two-year-old? Well, a thirty-two-year-old BB King looks like he's still older than the thirty-two-year-old me. Dude, you know what I did the other day? So time is so strange because we think about albums like ones we've talked about: The Ramones, nineteen seventy-seven; uh, Van Halen, nineteen seventy-six; Van Halen, nineteen seventy-seven. We think of those as ancient history. I was thinking, my grandmother, I believe she's eighty-seven years old. She was my age, thirty-three, when the Beatles released like revolver yeah in like 66 67 and she's still and it's like that's so crazy that the that's reality yeah my grandmother was still alive was like my she w- age and it seems like that was fucking 80 years ago right so you know what blows my mind is like not that there's a bad thing but like in that same kind of sense is um <laughs> well, sorry, my microphone, my microphone, my microphone was moving out of my face here. Um, in the same kind of sense, is like sorry, I was just trying to help. You're not eating an ice cream cone. It's like Dylan is the same age as my grandparents right now. Yeah, and then I'm like, Dylan was so hip, and like not, and my grandparents are so square, yeah. like comparatively, like yeah, yeah. the just like what he was reading and the yeah. culture that he, you know what I mean. And I'm like, you guys didn't even like listen, like it was all there, and they were, and you yeah. just were like. Ah, muskrat love, bro. And I'm just like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you listened to Sean on Yeah, it's like, you know, it was whatever was popular in their day. And right, you know right. what I mean? Just keep moving on instead of like, you know, I don't know. That always blows my mind. That somebody could be like so far thinking in another direction that someone else is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or I think about this too. So like we're, we're talking about old, old history, even new history. Like my best friend growing up, his dad, I assume, is like probably within two, three years old of my parents. I remember his dad was playing Nirvana and Presidents of the United States and Soundgarden and shit like that because he was in his early mid thirties. My dad was my age when, uh, or my dad was younger than me when like Nevermind came out. I guarantee you, my dad never listened to that album. Yeah, guaranteed. And like. I don't listen to SoundCloud rappers and like people who are 21 years old now, but I listen to bands that are around my age. Yeah, right, right. right. And I just think like just different, different tastes and different consumption generations and stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah. it's definitely strange. Well, I think too, at least like you'll at least like, even if it's not your cup of tea, I think we all do it. We'll we'll give it a try. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like, and then at the end of it, you'd be like, no, this just isn't for me. Right. You know, where I think. Yeah, different sort of musical mentalities are just kind of like, this is my thing. This is my box. I like what's in this box. Anything outside of it, I'm just not just not interested. I don't think it's a... Yeah, like, you I, know. I was with uh, 
Dave on the the host of the Rank Bank, uh, mm-hmm. also on uh, Wasted Robot Network. Check it out. Maybe on an upcoming episode. But um, like he, we were talking about music on that podcast. We did cover songs, and he was like, "I'm a '90s guy." And then I was yeah. even talking to somebody else at work who was like, "Oh, that was my era because that's when I grew up." Right. And I was like, "Oh my god!" So like, all those bands to you are like what you know for me would have been like taking back sunday and fallout boy and alkaline trio and all those things that like i hold my childhood that nobody really knows about in the mainstream where like their mainstream was like soundgarden pearl jam stp nirvana alice in chains and and those are their classic bands and i was like it just kind of blows my mind that like i can look at that as like that's the grunge era and then somebody else looks at that and goes that's my childhood. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And it must be far out for somebody like that, too, to, to to put on classic rock radio when you hear Pearl Jam. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. to, to, to think the fact that yeah. that, which was kind of this new era that, like, killed hair metal and all of that is now considered, like, just classic rock. It's kind of been, you know, you go and, you, and it's like you go to Walmart and they're playing Alice in Chains. You know, it's just such a bizarre kind of thing. I can't tell you how happy I would be if my favorite music was on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get an oldie station that's good. There's no good oldie. There's nothing. I mean, no. 100.9 used to be the one, and one. now Cool 101 is like all 80s. Yeah, show. it's 104.3 around here now yeah, is, uh, is the oldie station, but it's like what's oldies now is 70s, uh, right. is like late 70s and 80s. I want to listen to 50s and early 60s. Thank you. Thank oh, you. you got to get that satellite radio, you gotta get bro. Whatever, whatever Hanks plays on their soundtrack, because <laughs> that's what I want to listen to. I want to listen to doo-wop. At fucking like yeah. Buddy Holly and yeah. Yeah, early man. Motown and well that's why you have fifties on five, sixties on six I with, uh, with the serious but right. penguins. <laughs> Will yeah. you be mine? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's do one more round, shall we? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Luke, hit us with your third pick. I think we'll probably make this a uh, a two part a two-part series of debut albums, or maybe we can just do like a running, uh, you know, a running thing of just our, like our favorite debut albums. This yeah. uh, this episode, we'll only we'll do three picks each. But Luke, lay us. Uh, yeah. Okay. Four, I'm gonna three? pick one. I'm gonna pick one. Um, I'm gonna go with this one because we haven't talked about. Uh, oh no, I'm gonna go with this one. Let's see if Jeff listened to it. Of course, I. I Mother, did you? Yes. All right, so let's talk about it because you, you, you definitely listened <laughs> yeah. to it. Um, the reanimated corpse of Jim Morrison, also known as. Yeah, so I picked Danzig, Danzig. Uh, you know that's the name of it, Danzig, Danzig One. Um, the first album that came out, I think, in '88 or '89. Um, I think this record is. Okay, so why do I think it's a great debut record? I think it's a great debut record because it it, it takes everything that Danzig had been doing for a couple of years, um, writing like you know evil, spooky lyrics, um, kind of built off like what Sabbath was doing, um, but he was in a punk band and he took it and made really dry sounding uh, recordings that were heavy and impactful and. Um, kind of took the um, corniness out of, like, the horror lyric that he was doing and made it more, like, accessible and real life-based, I think, and was, um, I, I don't know. I just think, like, the, this band really came together and made, like, just a great, solid, not just metal album, because it's not really a metal album, and it put the blue, it, uh, this is why, okay. 
So yeah. I'm like trying to talk my way through it. I think why this album is so great is because it took the blues and infused it back into rock and roll and metal yeah. where we had just been speaking that like the hair bands had took the blues and out of metal and Danzig was just like, no, 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 we're going to creep it right back in. Right. Um, the vocal style, like you were saying, is very Jim Morrison-like. Um, it's very unique, um, very peri- paritable, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so unique. It's so yeah. Danzig. Um, and for me, being a person that like nowadays doesn't like metal albums, I don't seek them out. I don't really listen to them. This is something I'll come back to a ton um, just because it gets me in a really great mood and it rips really good. Also, yeah. um, players on this album, um, uh, for me, why this album is, again, so successful, just like the Guns N' Roses one, is drummer Chuck Biscuits, formerly of DOA in the early 80s and formerly of Black Flag in the early 80s. Um, Chuck Biscuits is one of the classiest goddamn drummers of his era. Um, he plays the song that feels unique. Um, his emphasis on like when he like does stops or when he does accents is also super unique. Um, and he's just really on point and groovy. Um, and then again, the guitar, but the guitar player is um, uh, John Christ. Is that his name? And he uh, really just brings that blues in, and uh, the guitar is pretty dry, not super distorty um, and noisy. And uh, I think if you're a fan of the blues, you'd love this record. If you're a fan of punk, you'd love this record. If you're a fan of Sabbath, you'd love this record. Yeah, I was going to say, it pairs nice with the first Sabbath album, I think, in that (laughs) sense where it does bring that blues back in there. And I do love the dry, dry production in it. There's like like little to no reverb. There's... It's pretty much everything is just plugged in and played. Like there's not there's not really bells and whistles, but I think it does come across really well. It's a, I think it it still it still holds up. Right, and it, for holding up too, like I was saying about like the lyrics. Um, I think Danzig is a great songwriter on this record. Like I was actually talking about it on the Rank Bank podcast where I'm like, you know, you kind of don't think of Danzig as a great songwriter, but Twist a Cane. Um, yeah. If you're gonna talk about evil, he's talking about the first murder in the Bible. Um, super biblical, um, even like the, you know, the sexy like song, like she rides the slow one. Um, that is like such like a weird, like S and M vibe. And it's so like slow and groovy brooding. Yeah. yeah. The chorus on that one is great too. She rides. Um, (laughs) like that song, like she rides, I can picture the doors doing that song. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. It, 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 it brings in a bit of the evilness from Sabbath. It brings in a little bit of the, that sleaziness of the doors. It's just kind of like a perfect little, you know, culmination of kind of, you know, he sprinkles in a, a bit of everything, you know, and also not for nothing, but I mean, you want to talk about, you know, an iconic image in the misfits sense also in the danzig sense i mean it's the it's the horned like devil skull you know it's just uh looks great on a t-shirt that's for sure it definitely does so now that we heard two people that love this album what's up jeff (laughs) what do you feel about it and now a musical moment with jeffrey Um, so i i had never once heard this album before i i had heard the song mother yeah once or twice um so i was brand new to this album and i liked it more than i thought i would like it not necessarily the music I would pick on a bright summer day at 80 degrees at noon to play, <laughs> but I I thought it was going to be a lot more of that misfits horror punk kind of thing. And it was more of like that throwback to that slow down blues that almost like a Roy Orbison, like 50s. Right, type of right, yes. right. And I was very surprised and I did some research on this because I clicked on the album and on Spotify and it's like 
every single track had the explicit content uh little e next to it so i'm thinking oh yeah i guess this is like late 80s there's probably like some cursing some fucks and some shits and zero there's no cursing and this is like a failed attempt at the the p pmrc like of of label music as explicit because there's not even like the marilyn manson type of like over the top like blood gore devil it's like all it's all very allusions to things and it's just like doom and gloom in a way but like there's not even shit about like i will possess like there's some (laughs) stuff about like i will possess your soul maybe but like there's no like the devil is my friend type of (laughs) shit on this yeah and every track is listed as explicit i'm like fucking i would think in 2021 they would have updated on spotify at least and like because none of this is explicit none of it even like a song like am i demon right is more or less um am i the, am I these thoughts in my head? Am right. I everything I'm thinking? It's more. It's way more deep, and yeah. every none of these songs. It's are, not shock rock. No. no, it's very human. Yeah, it's like it's. It's like medita- meditation on humanity. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. On the darker side of humanity, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I liked it more than I thought I'd like it, and uh, I liked how the guitars are pretty spacious and just kind of like there, but then there's times when there's some like blistering guitar leads. Um, It is very much like the first black Sabbath where it's kind of like a gentle slowed down kind of swing blues groove. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like it a lot, a lot more than the misfit stuff. I was almost going to disqualify this, but I figured, you know, we are not going to put so many boundaries on each other. But I don't really consider this a true debut because, like, Danzig had been a thing in yeah. other groups for a decade. But with this sound, since it is so different than the the Misfits and the Sam Hine type of stuff, yep. it's it is its own kind of debut thing. Um, yeah. So I was also, also I, for this record too. I think a lot of bands in the '90s took their sound mm. from this record, mm. especially like drum sounds. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like your Alice in Chains later, right, like right. even just like the um, uh, you know, like the song like Dirt, like that is all derivative from I feel like this Danzig album, this style. Yeah, and you said this was eighty or eighty one, eighty eight, eighty eight. Oh, eighty eight. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, great uh, Rick Rubin production as well. I just I love how dry it is. I think it, it take oh, it take that's taking the room out of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing I like the most about the album. Yeah, and I can't find any really other albums that sound like this album. Yeah, I it's, mean, Lucifuge, the second album that would come after this, has a similar vibe, yeah. but it's kind of not. It's just this it's is its own thing. Yeah, it's it's really kind of unique into itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I loved it, but I did like it, and I would listen to it again because I thought it was gonna be a lot more darker and weirder, and and it's pretty. I don't know. It's like it's more. It's, it's pretty palatable. Yeah, like the darkness of it is only in imagery alone, and then yeah. um, like real, like thoughtful and like passionate, like disc- like you said, like humanistic things mm. are just run through that filter of yeah. like of of darkness. Uh, to you know what I mean, and then comes out in all kinds kinds of different flavors. But like yeah. the cover is the probably the spookiest right. thing about it. But it definitely remind me of that like fifties early rock ballads, Roy Orbison stuff mixed with the Black Sabbath. Yeah. Doomy, Great, gloomy, like, crooner like heavy singing. metal, I guess, but it's its own kind of thing. Yeah, it's like heavy metal, but it's not at the same time. Yeah. And it's also, yeah, like you said, got like really cool like Roy Orbison croony vocals over the yeah. top of it. Jim Morrison-y at yeah. times. 
Get some sunlight, Glenn Danzig. Yeah, get some sunlight. <laughs> get some vitamin D. No yeah. vitamin D for the vitamin ghouls. C. And also, like, I just want to put, like, stuff like this in here a lot of the time, too, because, like, uh, again, like, Danzig has become, like, a parody of himself and is very memeable and all these things. And But at the same time as all those things are true, um, and you, I love to laugh at them just like everybody else does, at the same token... There is great music in there that uh, might just be getting overlooked by someone being like, ah, I know what that's yeah. about, when you might really not know what it's about. Right, right. Um, I will also go first four Danzig records, solo records are all really good. Anything after that, I, I don't hold anything to. But yeah. Do we have fl- favorite tracks? I like She Rides. That was my favorite. Dude, She Rides is my yeah. favorite. The drums on the creeping yeah. in. Dum, 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 yeah. dum, dum. Uh, great music video, too, for that oh. one. Uh, great. Uh, probably some of the best '80s butt on video. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You had the the VHS cassette, remember? Yeah, I have the because all these songs were banned from MTV, and they made four music, like four or five music videos for it that you couldn't watch them on MTV, so they sold them on home video. Such great. A, such a such a fucking like stupid thing. It was like there since there's no cursing, there's no real explicit content. Putting those labels on this album just helped this album sell more. Like it's so fucking stupid. Right, right, exactly right, right. what it did. They Congratulations, like shot themselves in the you yeah. played yourself. <laughs> yeah, then, for sure. The song "Mother." That's what it. That's yeah. what that song is about. It's about like you know, you know, tell your children not to hold my hand because they won't know what I'm really saying anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? What I mean and what I say. So yeah, I'm a soul on fire kind of guy. Soul on yeah. fire. Uh, Am I, I demon? Is so good Am too. Am I demon? Uh, yeah. dr- the drumming, the drum fill on that, the he does like yeah. the uh, like the flams on the snare. Da, 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 oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah, I love I love that sort of blues to all over this album. Jeffrey, any standout tracks for you? Yeah, I mean, aside from Mother, that's no, she rides. She rides. Oh, she rides. She rides. That was that was Jeff. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Right on. Well, uh, moving things forward to, I think, what you could maybe consider another sort of kind of a dark place in the sense of, um, you know, the the humanity and reality and sort of this kind of, uh, you know, this um, reflection of like the times and what's happening. Not, I mean, Danzig was kind of, yeah, I guess maybe not, but um, I'm going to go with Nas Illmatic. Um, This album for me. This album for me is very, very, very much like, you know, dark in the sense that, um, you know, it's it's a kind of a snapshot of what was happening in Queensbridge in 1994. You know what I mean? I mean, unfortunately, at the time, you know, crack is being pumped into the the ghettos of the world and, uh, you know, really just doing a number on these populations in um, in the projects and stuff. And. I mean, from what I understand, Nas was fortunate in the way that, you know, he lived in a family that was fortunately, you know, kind of well provided for. Uh, his father was a jazz musician, a trumpet player. Oludara. Yeah. And uh, his mother was kind of a, an academic. And, um, you know, so when you hear the lyrical content of Nas, you can definitely hear that, like, he's been. You know, he's he's smart, man. He's crazy smart. You know, his vocabulary is great. Uh, his flow is cool in the way that it's not that kind of early hip hop. 
it's much more poetic and there's more free form to the way that he rhymes the words and everything and um there's actually a great uh i've realized i found it last night there's a great nas documentary on netflix um about the making of the album illmatic and for me i'm totally a beats guy and I mean, the stuff that DJ Premier brings into this, I mean, you listen to, you know, uh, New York State of Mind and it's so haunting and it's so just like, whoa, man, like there's just moments with these beats where they make you feel kind of uncomfortable in a way, you know, and it is completely this sort of uh, this narrative, this story that Nas is giving you about what life was really like in Queensbridge in like the early 1990s. You know, it's, it's so, um, yeah, it's just, it's so incredible. It's, it's both a snapshot of the times and like a good kind of like historical marker of what was happening. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of these themes and a lot of the things that he's talking about, uh, unfortunately are still very much relevant today, you know? And, um, it's just, yeah, this, this album blows me away, man. Every time I listen to it, it's incredible. And then also the influence that this album would have over that sort of iconic, uh, East coast, New York hip hop thing that was going on where, you know, cause you have like the KRS ones and like the preceding MCs, but Nas kind of took it and flipped it in a way that would that would influence that sort of mob deep Wu Tang, uh, you know, East Coast New York hip hop sound that got much it got much darker in that way of it's like this is what's actually happening out here, you know, like he 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 puts you in the room where everything is going down and in an interview I heard he was like I want you to smell the crack being cooked when you like you know when you're listening to the music and it's a very Tolkien-esque in that sense where it's like if you read Tolkien you can almost taste the food that the hobbits eat in the same way that like Nas the first what Hobbit a, what Nas a crossover <laughs> that, yeah man what but that, a fucking but what I'm, but the point that I'm trying to make though is it's just that that Nas was a storyteller he yeah, yeah. you could see that he was he was firing on on all cylinders and his sense of awareness was so much more heightened you know his approach to explaining the violence and the all the the tragic things that were happening and the projects at that time they're they're done in such a clever way it's not this blatantly just kind of like so and so did this and then he you know then he had to do a bid or he then he got shot or something like that i mean that stuff is is peppered in there but the way that he was able to express his sort of outrage and um anger at like just like the system and the way that everything was was set up because i mean these housing projects were meant kind of for like working class people uh, of all races uh but unfortunately at the times when all that stuff up what uh who was the um the president at the time that signed off on all the housing projects was that uh hoover it would have been no oh back in the day ba- yeah back i'm talking like 40s hoover? 50s when it all kind of started happening but then you know i was uh, what's 20s. it, Doctor Cornell C- Cornell West? There's a great uh, interview with him where he talks about it, and he's like, "Well, you know what happens is, is that you have these mixed race uh, kind of housing projects, but then you get the white flight, and then when the white people leave, unfortunately, at the times, it meant that the funding got taken out, and really everything just kind of went to shit, unfortunately, you know, and um, and yeah, so it's it really is a lot of that sort of social commentary. It's it, I mean, there's so many layers to it, you know." Yeah, so 
so like this album, like what you're saying is like, yes, you had like KRS one before that, who was like pumping out like social commentary. You also had like Tribe Called Quest, like doing kind of mm-hmm. that kind of vibe. But um, what you're really trying to bring home in this is like why this was so such a like influential debut is because it took the grittiness. Uh, like the beats were super gritty, right? Yep. Super to the point, super to the punch. Um, taking a lot of the fun hooks out, so you're not getting like a fun hooked chorus or whatever. And if there is a chorus, it's probably more of like a uh, a downer kind of thing. Well, right, like the right. song "Life's a Bitch." That's A Z. Like life's a bitch, and then you die. Like it's like it's so much darker. Right, and so it, it hits for that reasons. Um, and like the premiere beats are obviously way more like tougher, like the bass drum and the snare, and it's relentless and kind of thing um like again um i don't dislike this album it's just not my favorite kind of uh rapping um it's a you know what i mean it's a bit i'm more of like a let's get positive (laughs) yeah kind of guy um but doesn't mean i don't like this at all but um it, it definitely is a different flavor than i like but at the same time uh like you were saying for all the reasons it is influential for that um yeah you know, yeah, yeah. and also like the just, and he changed the flow like that was the thing. Yes, he changed the flow because before it was more, more, more yeah. dense and more real. He was like, you know what I mean? He brought this sort of kind of like this this jazz sort of approach, like rhythmically, how he would hit his marks with his rhymes were much different. Beat poetry. Right, and that's what it really was. It was it was much more like that, like spoken poet, like poetic kind of uh, rhymes, rather than just kind of like I rap on the downbeat and then I said this and yeah, then so this happened and then da ba ba. It's kind of like your your King Curtis to your uh, Charlie Parker. One's one's one way, one's the other. You know what I mean? And then that kind of make you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I love I've loved this album for twenty years now, um, and so I think Premiere has the best beat on this album which is new york state of mind yeah and really if we're talking about like that first 15 years of hip-hop music i think that's the best song beat. those hits on the piano boom 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 and you got the dank 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 the syncopated thing um you have the cool in the gang uh drum sample but premiere does like maybe two songs this album you also have q-tip who does a song you have pete rock does a song you have large professor who does like four or five songs you have les who does a song or two um this this album i think it was recorded when nas was 18 and 19 yeah and then it was finished and like they didn't release it for over a year for whatever reason i think maybe it was just a young kid and like the game in hip-hop then like they had no reason for him to break out yeah until like probably the tape got passed around and they realized like oh no this kid is like he's gonna be the new york version of tupac because tupac had been out i think by the time this album came out tupac had at least put out two albums yeah and it was the same kind of thing very social commentary very much uh in in uh in in touch with the roots of like his parents being activists and all that kind of stuff um i love Nas's point of view which like you said he was in the middle of a lot of the stuff, but he was removed because like he still, his parents were a little bit more in the middle class, more of the educated type of thing, but he was hanging out with people who were mixed up in all the crime and all of the street life. Right. Um, so in that way, this Nas sound um, was the precursor to my favorite hip hop artists of our generation, who's Kendrick Lamar, same kind of thing. Right, right, like right. Talking about 
adopting the viewpoint of people who are in the middle of that stuff, but still having the being a little bit removed personally from uh, most of the things. Um, the Nas flow is just like impeccable for me. Like I listen to this album a lot, but there's times where I don't listen to it because in a way Nas's voice, like his flow and it's just so buttery and it's so that sometimes I, it kind of like lulls me to sleep a little bit because it is, it's almost too flaw, too flawless. Well, and, right, and his too, voice is so soft, right? It's not aggressive. It's yeah, he doesn't do no the pops. He doesn't. He never. He really has one voice. Yeah, he never has these different personas. Like kind of like Notorious B.I.G. would like get more gruff and aggressive, or like Kanye like West gets a little yelly, or Q-tip Jay-Z gets a little, seems to be on right. that same like mon- Q-tip right. never really changes his flow. He's Q-tip every day, every track. Yeah. Yeah, like the just the tone is the same on everything. Yeah. Um, but this I mean, like the raps are flawless, the beats are incredible, like sampling a lot of that instrumental funk and soul from the early seventies. Um, yeah, it's just like Nas has never topped this album, which is one of the kind of like sad things about this album is it's it sets such a high bar that it's almost like how can you kind of compete with that the rest you of have, year? You You're have your whole that. life to write the first right. one. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, it was written as a good album. I am is a good album. Stillmatic has like the ether. That was yeah, like I the mean, Jay-Z like, feud. Nas is Nas and song by song. He's always great. Yeah, but like as a collection of songs. Yeah, like as a as a dar- like if we were looking yeah. at it in the classic rock kind of candle, like the right. dark side of the moon, like right. like Nas's Illmatic holds that like yeah. bam, it's like and, it's an album. And the album itself yeah. too, it's it's like just under forty minutes long. Yeah, so it's a good like if you're trying to get into hip hop music and you want to kind of like try to get into the classics and stuff. I definitely feel like this is this is uh, this is a uh, a kind of blue of sorts in the way that it's like if you're looking for an entry level. Yeah hip-hop album for like that like that that time and place early 90s hip-hop new york sound this is absolutely a snapshot of it in its like perfect sort of form you know well this mob d and in reality like this album is so good hip-hop music is here to stay like it is the predominant radio format whatever of the last definitely the last decade it's like now hip-hop music is fully the american music sound like It'll be 2075, and they'll make a list of the top 10 hip-hop albums. This will always be on it. Right, right. This is, like, this is 36 this is Chambers. Tri- this is... Well, that's this a- is way... But this, well, right, this right. But beyond, I mean, in, in the in the sense yeah. of, like, uh, it, it, uh, yeah. a solidifying its place on, like, a greatest hip-hop record of all this time This is, list. like, you could you could pull 500 music journalists across all publications, and everybody would have this on their list. For sure. Do you... Yeah. All, do you so, like, just for, like, you know, hip-hop heads here, do you think, like, 36 Chambers is a, like a lesser album than this album do you think in regards of like the just like the artwork on the whole do you think like 36 chambers i i know it's very different but and uh but it's at the same time new york couple, like two years later three years later do you think i mean if i if like be- where between... where do they stand do you think like Nas's Illmatic is like way ahead of 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 the curve and and deserves like a more like prominent place in like an album ranking or do you think 36 is like kind of you know take it or leave it there i i think there's there different because this is a solo album and 36 chambers works its biggest strength is it is a group album and yeah and strength that, numbers. that was a that was an album that group 
one dude is only really like featured on one verse on the whole album, but that was like a nine member group. So that's the, that is in its own category of like, that'll be the best group or should say large group hip hop album. Cause as far as group hip hop albums, there's like raising hell by run DMC. There's Stankonia by outcast licensed to ill by BC boys, just cause it broke down so many barriers, crossover white rappers, etc. And, uh, straight out Compton, NWA, yeah. like that's and Thirty Six Chambers, like that is group hip hop albums and group hip hop was like that was like a fifteen year period. I don't think there's ever gonna be another hip hop group. Yes, like see, I just don't think it's possible. Anymore. Even you yeah. just saying like that is just like another mind opener to me yeah. to be like, oh, those were groups. Yeah, it's like nineteen eighty three till. Yeah. Compared to the solo then, act, which is now yeah. what we have, yeah. or like, uh, uh, and even like in the late '90s, you had like the so you had like the posse, right? Which now it's not even really like no. a posse anymore. No. Like that's yeah. not even a thing. For me, it's it, it, it's it, even though that you could look at a Thirty Six Chambers and an Illmatic, and you can kind of lump them in together in the sense of like the East Coast hip hop and all that stuff. Uh, the thing that I love about New York is the fact that, like, it really comes down to, like, the boroughs. Every borough has its own kind of a sound. Like, the Brooklyn thing is a little bit different than this, you know, like, the Biggie thing, the Biggie Brooklyn thing is a little bit different than the Wu-Tang Staten Island thing, which is a little bit different than the Nas, you know, Queens thing, which is a little different than the, you know, so uh, there's so many contributing factors. Um, but for sure... Um, I see there I'm on in my mind they're equals in my mind like the three great the three great like or maybe the four but the three great uh New York hip hop sound of like 1994 era hip hop thing it's it's Mob Deep the Infamous it's Nas Illmatic and it's Wu-Tang Clan 36 Chambers I mean okay ready to die on that well no that's what I'm that's why I said three four because ready to die I'll put ready to die up there as well but um, but yeah, that 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 for me. But and even to what you said, too, man, by being one person versus being like nine people, that you're getting one, like pretty much one person's great artistic vision, which is a more rounded, you know what I mean? Yeah, the personal statement. And then you have the rap group, which is really people building into something and like creating like a image of themselves together that's greater you know what I yeah mean? i think nas gives gives you gives it to you on this like on this like really brilliant sort of silver platter whereas wu-tang is much more like aggressive less hook heavy a lot of incorporating of a, a lot of like because i mean you're talking in terms of production and beats and stuff you're talking rizza versus premiere so premiere does give you that kind of that kind of a darker kind of brooding vibe but I would definitely say that Wu-Tang gives you a lot of like this kind of like uncomfortable kind of like lo-fi uh really strange obscure samples and stuff not to say Premiere didn't do that but but Wu-Tang will more is more likely to give you this sort of uncomfortable kind of like maybe like an anxious feeling you know where Nas, I feel like is there's more of this sort of kind of like picking you up and cradling you into this world rather than Wu Tang just being like protect your neck and bring the motherfucking ruckus and all that kind yeah, of I stuff. You know, Wu Tang is so jarring and like oh my the god. The main difference between those two, if you're talking about it, Wu Tang Wu Tang Clan will be on the top. That's for people who love hip hop music. Illmatic is for people who like music who love music. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, yeah. You know, it's just so much more appealing to a wider audience yeah i love hip-hop music and i don't 
Wu Tang is like a little too much. See, I love, I but I I love. Well, Thirty Six Chambers. I mean, Wu Tang like, Forever. There's yeah. a, there's other Wu Tang albums that are, that are kind of their own thing. But Thirty Six Chambers as being like a what the fuck is this? You know, yeah. like it's incredible. But the Illmatic is that's, it's at a high bar. <laughs> like, yeah. High. Oh high yeah, bar. for sure, for sure. Yeah. So there you go, Nas Illmatic right for my third and final pick of the episode. So uh, covers. Rolling into the station here. Oh, we have one more. Yeah, my my last pick today is um, it's an album that I did not even hear about until my mid twenties, and it's the first album by Big Star. It's called Auda- audaciously. It's entitled Number One Record. <laughs> um, I believe it's from nineteen seventy two. Big Star was a Memphis based band, and it they made three albums. They made this one album with this lineup with the t- two lead singers, uh, Alex Chilton, who had had some success. He had a song. Uh, he was in a group called The Box Tops. They had a group, a song called The Letter, which is a one-hit wonder type of song that a lot of people know. It's like this bluesy, like baritone vocals. He sounds like this grizzled old man. He was 15 years old when he recorded that. <laughs> Blue-eyed soul. Yeah. Um, and then in his early 20s he formed big star with chris bell uh andy hummel as chris bell is the other lead singer and guitar player andy hummel was the uh bass player and the drummer jody stevens jody stevens i knew it was jody i couldn't think of last name one of my favorite drummers Um, and this this band is like a power pop sound for me it like it's it's kind of an americanized continuation of a beatles type of sound and uh, it's on the short list of albums where it's like it didn't sell well because of distribution problems and record label problems. And like they recorded with at Ardent Studios, which is a studio in Memphis that was like linked to Stax Records. But Stax Records at the time was all black soul music. So like trying to even sell this album made no sense. And like. Yeah, see our episode anything. on stacks, and we'll, we go right. through the management of why this album did yeah. fail. We talk about it too yeah. in there, but yeah. yeah. So this is like one of those albums, just like the Velvet Underground and Nico album, where it's like it sold twenty thousand copies, maybe, but er- it's like one of those things of like everyone who did buy this album loved it, and then made a band. Kind uh, of absolutely. Um, How did you get first turned on to this record, seeing that it is a lost classic and yeah. you have to dig it out to find it? So I I, w- I moved to Memphis for a short bit in my mid-20s, and when I moved there or was about to move there, I just looked up like Memphis music, and of course it gave me all the Stax records, artists. But I looked up, like then I did another search of like Memphis bands, and it was like the number one band from Memphis. I'm like, I've never heard this band. And then I looked up the articles, and it's all these things about like, this album is incredible, but nobody heard it. It like it was only sold in like ten stores in all of America type of thing, because of its production uh, distribution deal, and uh, it's an incredible album. I love the two lead singers how they each take different songs and then there's some like co lead singings very early Beatles style. Um, it's just hook 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 hook. Um, famously, one of their songs in the streets was then covered by Cheap. Cheap Trick, and it was the theme song of that 70s show. and that, So that's a big star song. Um, and yeah, it's just a great album opener that starts with this just like downward chromatic guitar yeah. line. Oh my God, the album opener feel is right. one of the great, I mean, just yeah. the melody of that whole song. Um, I love, like, I love the, um, 
the harmony or like the the harmony effect vocals in the background. Yeah. Um, one of the main characteristics of this record is the uh, the harmony and background singing that create these like beautiful, um, like um, I I don't even know how to describe it, but it, like ethereal voices yeah, yeah. just hanging on the top end of the mm-hmm. whole record, it, with beautiful like. Yeah, yeah. Kind of things that like go over like the Mellotron. Li- oh, there's mm-hmm. also a ton of Mellotron in this mm-hmm. record um, that go over like the the lines. So you got like great like uh, Beatles singing mm-hmm. um, that's all over this record. Like you said, harmony. Um, uh, like you said, like hooks, hooks, hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, like the chorus of feel is so good. Um, yeah, great chewy guitar sounds. Yeah, and and this is the only album with this lineup because Chris Bell, the other main songwriter and singer was so frustrated by the fact that this didn't sell that he was just like i gotta leave this band this is like fucking killed me that like we put our heart and soul into this they chris bell was working as an assistant engineer at Arden studio and they would record this at like 3 a.m bit by bit over like a six month period on their own dime and like using time he would like work for studio time type of thing um and it's just it's a great album it's a great it's like a loose feel. It's it's like it's very, very polished garage rock yeah. in a way, but it does have that beautiful multi track harmonies and um there's so many good songs on this album. Feel Ballad of El Goodo, Thirteen, Don't Lie to Me, Give Me Another Chance, Try Again, Watch the Sunrise. Like some of the most beautiful songs and like these heartfelt like like love struck pining type of type of uh, songwriting and um, yeah, i think I this album song. works super well too because um like we're like you know it it was the continuation of what the beatles set out to do which was give you a little bit of everything on mm-hmm. every like one album um and like uh opening track feel it has great melody but also has some heavy ass guitar in it yeah yeah um uh, Don't Lie to Me is just like a straight-up blues rocker. And then you have a song like 13, an acoustic ballad about what it was like to be that age, being 13 years old. Yeah. Um, I first heard of Big Star because of Elliot Smith, co- uh, sure, yeah. who covered the song 13. Yep. I was obsessed with that song mm-hmm. because the lyric was so beautiful, so yeah. on point to you know what it's like to be 13. And then um, when I looked up how to play that song, I was like, who's Big Star? Yeah, yeah. Who, who, and then discover this whole amazing band. But then you get like so many different kinds of feels on on this one album. Um, uh, India song, yeah, super melotroni and doesn't sound anything like "Don't no. Lie to Me." No. Um, and it still fits on the record of because mm-hmm. it's progression and experimentation, and um, it's it took all the hard rock that Zeppelin had you know was doing at that time, but also it never forgot that the Beatles still wanted to hold your hand. Right, right. So that's why I think this record works so well. You, like, I'm. What do you think about it? Yeah, I, I, I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's yeah. a great album. I mean, that you guys pretty much <laughs> said said what could be said about it. But yeah, I love, um, I, I love how it's it's still super approachable and it's still poppy, even though you kind of have some complex textures and sounds and themes kind of going through it and all that. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, like Jeff said, it's. I mean, you know, the intro to that '70s show. You know, we're all alright. You oh, know, like how, it's like. How about the line in in that song too? Like, which I I don't know how many people have probably even heard the full version of that song, but like, I mean, my favorite line in that tune is like, "Wish we had a joint so bad." Just the harmony over it, yeah. like the is so 
wonderful the guitar solo in um out in the street too mm-hmm. um is so cool when it makes like the climb in the middle of it yeah. oh my god i yeah. love it. it it cuts me to pieces every time well we were yeah I was going to say, yeah, we were, well, Jeff and I were talking about it earlier and how, you know, we, uh, he was like, yeah, the Danzig album. I mean, it's not really like that album that you kind of want to put on like on a summer morning, but I'll tell you what, this record is a great, great summer album. It is a, a fantastic summer album because it's good vibes. It's good. You know, it's just everything about it to me is just screams like this is great music for a summer barbecue for your guests to be like, dude, who, who? Who is this? It's like happy heartbreak music. It's like the definition right. of power. Pop See, this music. is my yeah. like late at night music. This yeah. is like I love the I love this record like late at night and when like you got a hot summer night. I love it. Yeah, any, this is one of like I, anytime I, I make my list of the ten favorite albums. Honestly, this is probably on my list because it's just it's, so good to listen to. Yeah. I like it too because it starts off like the song feel like yeah. and it starts off really positive and then as the record plays on for me. It becomes like it, it just sloops into this yeah. fucking like downer area that you get into, and by the time you get to the last song, it kind of is like it it works Crawls backwards, back yeah. and it starts heavy and then like blows everything out by the end, yeah. and it gives you everything you've had till they have nothing left, yeah. and that's why I like this album too because usually that's always the opposite. Usually, you know, starts off like and then builds stronger as it goes on in people's mm-hmm. minds as like a linear story, where this one goes. We're great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, the last three songs, "Try Again" is this very low key ballad. "Watch the Sunrise" is like very much like the uh, "All Things Must Pass" George Harrison type of vibe, and that ends on an instrumental "St. One Hundred Slash Six, which is just basically a minute and a half of like strummed acoustic and like oohs and ahs. Um, yeah, I I just always think of the Beatles when I think of this album because. Chris Bell is more of that like hard edge early John Lennon type of sound, and then Alex Chilton is more of that like s- higher singing, but like on the on the verge of his voice cracking type of Paul McCartney t- type of style. Um, it's really a sh- I love the next two Big Star albums as well, but it's just such a shame that like this had such bad. <laughs> there there's no success in this album, and it kind of destroyed the band as what it was, and then they became a kind of disjointed three-piece band and like sounds much stranger and more like the mental illness kind of stuff kind of comes out more in the next two albums and this is just like it's a beautiful it sounds both homemade and incredibly polished at the same time absolutely this is maybe one of the best like it technically is produced by john fry who's like the lead engineer at arden but it really is like a self-produced album right and to like that point too, it this album doesn't sound it's it's a super original album. Yeah, it doesn't sound like any other band. If no. anything, everything after it sounds like this. Yeah, yeah, right. Because it's 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 one of those records. It's a Velvet Underground, like you said earlier, yeah, where it yeah. comes out out of left field. It doesn't sound like what anybody's doing at the time, even to like the contemporaries of like the Raspberries later. Right. Yeah, it doesn't even sound like the Raspberries. Or cheap. It's kind of like the Beatles. And then it's the bridge between the Beatles and like the cheap trick bad finger type of. Yeah, oh yeah, I guess, guess I guess it is bad fingery, but it's it's better yeah. than bad finger. Yeah, there yeah. they were. I think they were better yeah. singers oh, yeah. and songwriters. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. Um. Stand out. Anybody? I mean, there's Standouts. there's really only one track I even sometimes skip, and that's India song because like it's Same. A, it's the only one that's yeah. super different. But my favorite song on this is like the epic. It's uh the ballad of El Goodo. Which is like basically like 
that's what Weezer tried to do the rest of their career kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just I'm I'm a feel fun. guy. Me I know too. it's kind of I know it's kind of it not to seem like it's a cop out, but like it's just that as an opening track. Yeah. Not only that, but Jeff and I were talking about it earlier. I listened to Feel and I'm just like Oh yeah, this is this is what this is how Luke writes songs. You know what I mean? It has like I can hear like how when you will be like, "Hey man, I, I you know I, yeah, I did yeah. this little like forty five second thing that I sent you." You know, it's like it, for me, I've heard this album before, but for some reason when I listened to it this go around, it clicked for me, and I was like, "Oh yes, it's Big Star." That's fucking. I mean, obviously you have different elements that you throw in there. No, There's, but when I write but, stuff, it's usually a chewy guitar. It's all that. It's all, it's, the, it's the sort of like yep. sad chromatic kind it's of still seven like in the one chord four, thing. Yeah, it's still kind of the one four or five rock stuff, but with chromaticism and major seventh chords and stuff yeah right, right 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 and i just love that that sort of kind of like happy sort of melancholic kind of mixture so you off, know it's a little off kilter and strange but you could you always it's it's it always it always, always ends feel, when you, yeah where you know it's gonna go yeah it ends where yeah. like it, you want it to go somewhere and it always ends goes, where your brain right. where the most satisfying thing right, for right. your brain is yeah yeah so it's still pop you yeah. know it's still yeah. pop in that sense and like you said like feels probably like my favorite full group song on here but my my favorite song in this record hands down is 13, 13 yeah. um yeah. i love i love the idea of the song mm. i love like just the idea of writing that song is i love it and um that lyric um um tell like he's saying like tell your dad what we said about painted black you know right, like right. like that song was so important to us that like we're gonna you know build our the rest of our lives off of like of a painted black and because rock and roll is here to stay man like and i find that like so such a groovy lyric it's such a cool thought and statement and mindset and i don't think a lot of songwriters go there so uh so full so so full you know, fully you know what i mean like yeah. some people dive into that kind of childhood thing but just the all the lines in that song are so beautiful to yeah me. there's nothing contrived about this album it's all so heartfelt it's so honest it's so like yeah taken straight from a journal type of stuff yeah, yeah absolutely so there you have it. There is part one of what will eventually become yeah. uh, maybe two, three, four part series. Yeah, I don't we know. Hit this we'll like see. Every, every couple months. Yeah, some, some, some of the fun. Because there, there are there are still so many, yeah. so so many. I mean, do we want to throw out honorable mentions or we want to uh, save, save, it? It. save we'll it? Save it. We'll save it. Okay. Save Red Hot Chili Peppers first off. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, never mind. We're not going to do any follow ups. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's a, that's a wrap, baby. <laughs> that's it. That's one of the worst. De- we should do the worst debuts of all time because that's one of them. Listen, g- g- you need to give it away over here, okay? <laughs> All right, well, there you have it. The crazy train <laughs> is about to leave the station. Um,. Yeah, don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook. We do have a YouTube that we very rarely update. And uh, yeah, some fun stuff in the future, I think. We have some fun plans. Now that COVID is sort of dwindling down, and uh, we can start actually like at least seeing... for us, we're all vaccinated. Well, true, true, yeah, yeah. Not, not for uh, everybody. Get your but... vaccinations, people. Yeah, yeah. believe in the science. Get, believe in science. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you always judging me? Why? Because I believe in science. It's your Nacho Libre quote of the day. Uh, so yeah. Check all these albums out. They're all really, really good. I know we kind of gave you sort of a nice mix of stuff, but, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, I think every album that we chose thus far has been a, a pretty good uh, well, uh, debut pick. You know, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to close it. I've been Mike. Luke's been Luke's. Jeff's been Jeff. Peace. As always, get in the garage. Can we get the...
Can we get a little? All right, there we go. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.